This has been a heck of a week. We had something really good and really bad happen on a single day last Sunday. Those of you who listen to this podcast regularly will surely remember how often I've quoted my neighbor and friend, Clifton Buckner. He's always had advice for me and has helped me with so many projects. It would take many long podcasts just to list them. He'd come by to see what was going on at least once or twice a day, every day. He almost always seemed to know when I just made fresh coffee. Hey, Clifton, want some coffee? Nah, it's late. Uh, Maybe just a sip. Yeah, that's enough, but put some water in it. He'd drive down to McDonald's and drink coffee with his buddies every morning. All retired people from these mountains. Not a person from the city was welcome. One day, he comes in and says, Ernie, we'd been here maybe a few months, maybe six months. I have something for you. He hands me two glass coffee mugs. They have on them the Olympic rings and the McDonald's arches. On the other side are four icons of Olympic sports. Simple figures. An equestrian, a gymnast, a fencer, and a cyclist. Below these, in a very small font, is written, 1984 Olympics. Thanks, Clifton. What are these for? Well, when you go to our McDonald's, you take this cup, hand it to them, they'll fill it with coffee for free, save you some money. Uh, That's great, man. It's funny, neither Don nor I ever use these cups. We save them for Clifton. They still look new after all these years. Those 1984 Olympics were held in Los Angeles. When I moved to L.A. several years after that and started racing bicycles, I trained at the 7-Eleven Olympic Velodrome, site of the cycling track events. Several great American Olympic cyclists trained there. Mark Gorski, gold medalist in the individual sprint. Nelson Vail, silver medal in the same event. Nelson worked as a bicycle messenger in New York City before he became a pro. I told you in an earlier podcast of how Steve Haig, gold medalist in the individual pursuit, and his L.A. County Sheriff's team drafted off of Ross Freed and me as we rode a tandem bike in the Solvang Century years later. These guys were gods to me and my amateur teammates. So without Clifton being aware of it, that gift had great significance to me. It was about 11 months ago, Clifton and I drove over to his friend's house, Ted Hawkins. He's a rancher, no spring chicken, out in Sandy Mush. He needed help in trimming some very tall and shaggy ornamental holly bushes next to his house. The three of us worked for several hours. Clifton seemed to have some discomfort in his shoulder, but he didn't complain. About six months ago, the pain had got worse, and he went to a number of doctors and specialists. He finally went to a spine specialist and had several MRIs taken. Two months ago, he called us. It was early evening and said, 
Are you sitting down? I have bad news. He said he had cancer in his lungs, his liver, and his spine and femur. What a shock. More MRIs, visits to oncologists. The pain just got worse. He lost his appetite, a lot of weight, and his mobility. A month ago, he was admitted to a hospital. He was operated on to stabilize his femur so it wouldn't shatter. They put him on a radiation treatment. But he had no appetite and continued to lose weight and strength and vitality. The worst thing about this, he could have no visitors, not even his wife or son. Last week, he was put under hospice. Sunday night, I got a call from his wife, Shirley. Clifton died a few minutes ago. Don and I were in shock and are still in shock, as are his friends and family. The world is much emptier without Clifton. So I dedicate this episode and all future episodes to Clifton Buckner. It was he who taught me how to milk a goat, Mama, years ago. If he hadn't taught me that and suggested that I make soap out of the surplus milk, there never would have been an Anashira, and there certainly would have been none of these podcasts. It was a year ago today that we published my interview with Clifton. It was episode 42, if you're interested. So here's to my friend Clifton. I wish you safe travels and peace. Let's jump forward from where I left you last time to the last year of the 20th century in this episode of Stories from Anashira. How many of you remember the year 1999 with great clarity? Actually, it was back as far as 1995 that a problem was brought up. It involved the changes of year in computers that would occur at midnight when 1999 became the year 2000. They called this the problem Y2K. The problem had started years before due to the fact that memory was so expensive. It cost between $10 to $100 for a kilobyte. Yeah, yeah, that much for a tiny kilobyte. And we buy terabytes of data today for practically nothing. So programmers reduced usage, abbreviating the year from 1990, for example, to just 90, leaving off the first two digits. So it was warned when 2000 hit, computers would not recognize 00 as 2000, but as 1900, 1900, and applications would freeze or go haywire, it was a big deal. I was working at that time for a company. It was owned by a man named Wayne Heisinger. He had bought up National Car Rental, Alamo Rent-A-Car, other rent-a-car companies, and started a company called AutoNation. They all were part of his organization. He moved the executive offices to Fort Lauderdale, and Don and I moved down there. 
So the company was spending millions of dollars to address this problem, like most companies and governments. Its key operating systems were run on a mainframe with hard-coded programs. And the biggest problem was not simply changing the source code of every application, but of testing. For most companies and governments, about 60% of the time and money needed for total compliance efforts would be devoted to testing. Testing the source code changes that were made to address these issues. Now, my organization and I worked diligently for months and months to support this work. But I didn't really feel it personally or viscerally until Heisinger pulled together a meeting one day of all of his executives. There were a bunch of us. It really was a presentation by people from Deutsche Bank, which handled much of the financing of his companies. We met at the beginning of 99, maybe the first quarter. Deutsche Bank had a lot of credibility in those days. There were some very smart people, so we paid attention. The gist of what they told us was, this is a very serious business. The danger of the world's computer interfaces failing is great. Many governments and companies are not investing enough resources and energy to fix a problem. Take Brazil, for example. There is a good chance their systems will freeze, even crash hard. It is one of the world leaders in ball bearing production, for example, they told us. Imagine their systems fail and ball bearing production freezes. The effects on world manufacturing will be cataclysmic. Imagine the software running the world's banks fails. There'll be no more credit, no credit cards, and no cash dispersed, no ATMs. Until today, I'm not quite sure why Heisinger brought in those guys at such a late date. I guess just to scare the hell out of us. Well, it worked with me. I went home and told Don, there's a fair chance that the world is going to have a very rude awakening when New Year's Eve is over. We better make some plans and get ready. First, personal security. There's a good chance there will be a lot of hungry people running around trying to steal our food and our cash. I had one weapon, a Remington pump shotgun that I'd bought years before to hunt pheasant and doves with my dad. I need to buy a number, a bunch of boxes of shells loaded with buckshot, I told her. I need to be able to stop people in their tracks. We also need a few handguns. We were having some work done to our house at the time. There was a contractor named Randy and his right-hand man. They spent a lot of time around there. This man, whose name was Jay, was a good guy. They both were. Randy told us that Jay was a member of the Montana militia. I was shocked. Don't worry about him. He just hates governments and anybody who tries to tell him what to do. Well, I never tried to tell him what to do. I asked Jay one day. I figured he knew weapons, being with the militia. Where's the best place to buy a pistol? A gun store? Well, what do you want it for? Target shooting? Are you a collector? Or self-defense? Man, self-defense. 
I'm worried about this Y2K business. Yeah, so am I. Your best option is a gun show. Okay. There's one coming up in Fort Lauderdale in a couple weeks. If you want, I'll go with you. I like them. You can also pick up ammo. Does Dawn want a gun for herself? Yeah, I think she's going to need one. Well, she needs to go with us too. All right. If you like Americana and have never been to a gun show, you need to go at least once. These gun shows don't exist in any other part of the world that I've heard about. This was the most unique group of people I've ever been around. It could have been in the deep south, men with full beards and mouths full of tobacco. And there were Latinos who looked like they were part of the Colombian cartel. Gangbangers of all nationalities. A lot of just nasty looking people. And some big women with bad mouths. And a lot of people who look like us, all in one big building. So with Jay's help in selecting the weapons, and also his help in negotiating the prices, we bought two thirty-eight special revolvers. One long barrel and one short barrel. You want a revolver, he said. It won't jam on you like a semi-automatic can do. I did buy a classic Colt 45 semi-automatic. I'd always wanted one. Hey Jay, if this gets bad, I may need to take I may need to take on 10 or 12 raiders at a time. I'll need rapid fire. We also left with a lot of ammo. That's something you don't want to run out of in bad times. Now Fort Lauderdale had a beautiful bass world complex. It was complete with an indoor pistol range. So I took Dawn there with our revolvers and bought several more boxes of 38 special target loads and some targets. We each had our own lane. I had walked her through the process of loading the pistol, aiming, firing, but it was just a dry walkthrough. So this was a real deal. We went over once more. Her gun had the shorter barrel, not as heavy, also not as accurate. So I set up a target for her. You hung this target on a cable, and it was like a clothesline. You wheeled it down and got it as far away from you or as close as you wanted. I rolled it down uh, maybe 15 feet away, say the distance from her side of the bed to the bedroom door. It doesn't seem like much, but that's when you use a weapon like this. So she started firing. I watched her. She was good. At one point, she moved the target further away. She said, my pattern is too tight. I need it a little more difficult. Now, I was involved in my own shooting by then. I didn't pay a lot of attention to her area and what she was doing. I took a break and looked over. There were four or five college kids standing behind her, watching her shoot. Man, I wouldn't want to mess with her. One guy said to the group, That's a mighty tight pattern, another guy said. Yeah, that's my wife. You don't want to mess with her. You got it right. Well, she was good. We went back to that range again and again and kept improving. The next thing I got was a generator. We'd been through a couple of hurricanes, 
and had lost power for about 24 hours in one of them. It was miserable. What if the entire electrical grid went down? These Deutsche Bank guys had warned us about that. I also bought several, maybe four or five, five-gallon gas cans and filled them up, and I kept them full. South Floridians are not good in dealing with scarcity. Each time we had a hurricane threaten us, even if we weren't in the main target zone, people would go crazy, filling up their cars with gas. Lines would go back a quarter of a mile, and this was two days before forecast impact. I saw several serious fistfights after people tried to cut the line. I bought four 50-gallon plastic garbage cans and filled one up with fresh water. I'd fill the others up the week before the New Year's Eve hit. You know, Don, we'll fill the pool to the brim. It's not really potable water, but we can use it to wash and bathe with. Yeah, whatever you say, she said. Don was not really convinced by the dangers that Y2K represented. But she humored me. Next, I turned to foodstuffs. I found a site out in Utah that sold what they called emergency food in bulk. I bought five-gallon containers of rice, hard winter wheat, unmilled to keep longer, pearl barley, rolled oats, other grains. And I looked for canned butter. They were out. I tried to find shelf-stable milk. They were out. You know, this shelf-stable milk, uh, they had it in Germany. That's what we drank all the time. You didn't buy cold milk. You bought a a paper carton that held about a liter, and it stayed fresh. Put it in the fridge. I swear you couldn't taste the difference. Why we don't do that, I don't understand. Those were sold out everywhere. I guess the only people that buy those things are Montana militia people and guys like me. I bought a hand grain mill for the wheat and for coffee. It's funny. I've just gone online to check on what kind of bulk foods are available in these days of the pandemic. Surprise. Most are out of stock. Not available. You want wheat, rice, cornmeal? Out of stock. Well, I was early enough back then, so I got most of what I wanted. I was talking with Jay, our militia buddy one day, whose politics were diametrically opposed to mine. But we shared similar cynical worldviews. He said, you got any MREs? Not yet. You better get some. No telling how long this crisis is going to last. Now, they're easy to eat, and they got plenty of calories. Now, in case you don't know what MREs are, they're meals ready to eat, used by the military. You get one package, uh, one meal in a package. He suggested I get steak, beans and rice, and applesauce. Oh, that doesn't sound too bad. So I got a couple cases of each. What he didn't tell me was that the steak was some kind of pressed meat, maybe beef. Uh, It was in the shape of a T-bone. 
and it was in a brown gravy sort of thing. The beans and rice were exactly that, red beans and white rice, also in a mysterious sauce, similar to the steak. Uh, the other one was the applesauce. By this time, I'm cleaning things out of the laundry room so I can stack boxes of provisions. I had lots of other items I won't even bother to list here. Canned fruits, powdered milk, jars and jars of peanut butter, dried salamis, batteries, uh, wine, cases of wine and beer, coffee, and cash. Wads of cash and small bills. What would happen when the ATMs and banks themselves went down? Nobody would take a check. I got a haircut and suggested Dawn that she do the same. She wouldn't want me going after her head with a pair of scissors when all the hairstylists uh, were out of business. One thing I was proud I didn't buy, a chemical toilet. Even if we lost water, we could pull buckets out of the pool to flush. If that ran dry, we'd go out to our dock on the canal, the one to the intercoastal, and we could pull salt water out with a bucket attached to a rope. Wasn't worried about that. So, the day of reckoning was almost here. December 30th, that was a Thursday. I was taking New Year's Eve off. So I drove home after work. There were lines of cars at gas stations. Grocery stores were mobbed, just like before a big hurricane. Many shelves were already empty. There was nothing more I wanted from a grocery store. Our freezer was packed with frozen meat. The fridge was full of fruit, vegetables, drinks, eggs, anything else I could cram in there. Our ice chests, and we had a number of them, were packed with blocks of ice. We were ready. We sat out in the backyard, put on a big ribeye on the grill, and relaxed. Big glasses of excellent Bordeaux in our hands. Well, Ernie, here we are. I think you're ready. After all your preparation, will you be disappointed if the lights don't go out? Huh. It's a good question. You know, I will be happy if there are no problems. We'll just have to see. So when will we know if Armageddon is here? Midnight in Moscow? No. I said, before that, I figure we'll know when the new year turns in Australia. If Sydney's celebration goes well, we can assume the world will be mostly okay. If they go dark, that will not be good. So what time is that here? Uh, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. Let's get up early. We can head to Starbucks for an espresso. And you can have a mocha, and we can be back here before 8 o'clock to watch Sydney and Melbourne. And that's what we did. Got up early. Streets were quiet. I had a doppio espresso, then another one. I wanted to be on my toes for this important day. We drove home, and at about 7.45, turned on our TV to the Today Show, and we waited. The host went on and on about what could happen, how terrible it could be. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. At precisely 8 o'clock a.m., midnight in Sydney, the huge fireworks display went off.
from the Sydney Harbor Bridge. It went on and on. Man, it was spectacular. I wished I were there. It lasted seemingly forever. And in the background, we could see the city lights. Thousands of them. They didn't flash. They didn't blink. Y2K had come and gone. So, seems okay. What do you think? Asked Don. I think it's good. If everything worked down under, it'll be fine here. Let's just see how it goes in Moscow, then Paris and London. Well, there was no problem. Midnight came and went in Florida, and it was just like any other night. It was later that I ate one of those MREs, steak. It was not tasty. I talked about it with Jay, who asked what I thought. You may not have the right techniques, he said. So we decided to have lunch one day. I came home from work for lunch and a sort of an MRE party. Dawn had it all set up. I went out and she and Randy and Jay were there. Dawn had laid out a stack of those MREs. So I opened a steak dinner, that pressed meat sort of stuff. Jay said, what do you think? I had one of these a few days ago, and I've been constipated ever since. That's not how you do it. Here, watch. You eat a bite of steak, and then you eat a bite of beans and rice till you finish. If you eat only beans and rice, you get the trots. You eat only steak, it'll plug you up. You eat them together, perfect. He ate these things with a gusto. Then you finish with the applesauce. It'll leave a nice taste in your mouth. And it really was the best. Jay enjoyed them so much, I gave him all of those MREs, every case. Oh, this is great. I'll take a bunch of them out to Montana with me. My friends will be grateful. Folks, this is Ernie Johnson, founder of Anashira. I must tell you, Mama had her baby a week ago, a beautiful white boy. He's very timid and lonely. Razzie is big as a tank, and as Clifton would have said, she's made a big bag, but still no babies. I'm milking Mama twice a day. She's making more milk than that baby can drink, and I have to strip the milk so she doesn't get mastitis. I've frozen some already, and tomorrow I'm going to make a batch of deep forest soap with that freshly frozen milk. It's a great soap. If you haven't tried it yet, order some now. We still have some left. Otherwise, you might have to wait four weeks until this new batch cures. Go to anashira.com, enter discount code STORIES12 for a 12% discount. Good until the 4th of July. The scent includes sandalwood, frankincense, myrrh, and jasmine, you can find no soap today that has sandalwood as an essence. If I had to pick a favorite soap, this would be it. Oh, someone asked me, Ernie, you started the last podcast talking about some burpee challenge. You were going to do 100 a day for a month, and that was it. You never told us if you did it or not. Yeah, I, I did leave you hanging. Well, I finished 
we increase them to 110 a day, then 120 a day the last week. It lasted five weeks, six days a week. I told Robert, one of the Marines before we started, who was doing the competition, document your weight and take photos of yourself. I guarantee we'll see a change. Yeah, sure. You know what? I worked hard. I didn't lose a pound. And I did not trim down my abs. I haven't seen Robert since week four of the challenge. He's probably fighting trim. He's also so much younger than I am that I'm not even going to tell you about it. I just about finished this recording. I was editing my work and I took a break to go down this morning and see the goats. And guess what? Razzie finally had two babies this morning. Yeah. One a baby girl. Tiny little thing. And one a baby boy. He's a strapping, energetic young thing. And uh, they're doing okay and Razzie is doing well. Okay, I'll tell you more about that next time. I wish you all health and peace. Join me next time for the next episode of Stories from Anashira. Stories from Anashira.